After several weeks of uh, walking through this treatise on suffering in the church, which is where Peter has what he's been writing about, it almost seems like there's this really uh, hard left turn that he makes to now start talking about church elders and giving instructions to the elders of the church. It's one of those times in a text where you say, well, how did you get from where you were to this place? You know, what made you jump onto this subject? But if you, if you were listening, if you look at the text as Scott read it, that opening word, so, in verse 1, actually tells us that these instructions are connected to what he's been teaching. This is not a brand new thought. This is a connected thought to what he has been teaching, and, and I think very likely the connection point is verse 17 in chapter 4, where, as we studied last week, Peter says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And so what we said last week when we looked at this at that passage is that that was a reference from Malachi in the Old Testament, and it's referencing how God refines and purifies the faith of his people, especially using times of difficulty and trials to grow us and to refine us. And so perhaps what Peter has in mind here is that if God is concerned about the health of his church, the purity of his church, and the faith of his people— then he is going to begin by addressing the character and the conduct of its leadership. Because the health of the church, the purity and the character of the church, is directly tied to the faith and the purity and the character of the church leaders. Peter writes this to the elders of local churches in his day, but also in our day. And as he writes, he identifies with them. He's an apostle, but he doesn't call upon his apostolic credentials. He says to them, I am a fellow elder. I'm a fellow shepherd. I have been charged with pastoring the church the same as you, local church pastors, have been charged. And so everything that he's going to exhort them to do He is also exhorting himself, and he is saying that I too have this charge. And he reminds them that he was a witness to the sufferings of Christ. He doesn't say, remember, I was a witness to his resurrection. He says, I was a witness to his sufferings. Peter saw firsthand what it cost Jesus to redeem his church. He knows the pain, he knows the suffering that Jesus went through. That Jesus took on so that his church could be free from the power of sin and death. And when he charges these elders to shepherd the flock, he is using the exact verb, the exact word that Jesus used with him. When Peter had failed, when his pride overcame him, when he trusted in himself to be sustained, and when he had fallen and denied that he ever even knew Jesus multiple times, using even cursing, Jesus still sustained him and forgave him, and Peter repented. And in this beautiful picture in John where Jesus restores Peter, he asks a series of questions, and he tells Peter, if you love me, 
tend my sheep, shepherd my sheep, the exact word that Peter now uses with these elders. Peter was able to see the eyes of Jesus when he gave him that command. Take care of them, Peter. Love them. Teach them. Watch out for them. Like a father giving a child into the custody of someone else to care for them for a time. Jesus was giving the care of his church over to Peter and other shepherds and pastors who would come after him. And now Peter drawing near his death, because he would be martyred within a couple of years of writing this letter, he is now exhorting other elders to the exact same thing. What I want us to take away this morning in a passage that you've probably heard before and you are familiar with is that Jesus loves his sheep. And what a horrifying thought it is at how many people have trampled the trust Jesus has placed in them as elders. So I hope today that we can see together what pastors are called to that you might recognize a true shepherd from a false one, that you might know how to pray for your leaders, and that we all might understand how to live together as shepherds and sheep in humility. So if you have one of your worship guides and you are a note taker, let me invite you to fill in this first life truth this morning. Jesus is the chief shepherd of his people. In his wisdom, he has directed us to belong to a local church, to be spiritually cared for by elders that he chooses, so that, or in order that, we might mature as worshipers, fellow saints, and disciple makers. Let me say a few things about this life truth and about what Peter says opening up this passage. Peter addresses those he calls elders. This is an office in the church. It is, its position is explained by its function, and Peter gives the functions. An elder shepherds. That is a verb for pastor. Elders exercise oversight. That is a verb for oversee or overseer. So it is very likely here, as in all the New Testament, that the term elder, the term pastor, the term overseer were all synonymous for the same office. You could use them interchangeably. And in verse 4, Peter says that Jesus is the chief pastor. He is the lead pastor of his church. He is in charge of his people. Jesus is the one who cares for them and feeds them and nurtures them. And any other pastor is subject to him under his authority. As a matter of fact, no pastor has any authority that Jesus doesn't give them. Their only authority is from Jesus. But it must be said that the authority that he gives them should be recognized. And in verse 2, Peter says to these elders to care for the flock of God among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. 
That means that it's not a pastor's job to oversee every Christian. It's not a pastor's job to shepherd every church. Rather, a pastor, an elder, is in charge of the portion of the church that has been placed in his care. And likewise, the church is called to be subject to the elders, which we'll get to in a moment in verse 5. But that doesn't mean that every Christian is subject to every pastor. But rather, they are to be subject to the ones that are over the church that they're a part of. So this helps us to see a New Testament picture of belonging to a church. What people will an elder be held accountable for by Jesus to have shepherded well? What elders will the church be held accountable to for having been subject to them? It is the ones who belong to that church where God had placed them. We are called as believers to belong to a church. That's the only way to obey these commands. We're not called to be loosely connected to a church or to be loosely connected to multiple churches, but there should be a church we belong to in which we are subject to the elders and the elders are pastoring our souls well. And finally, about this life truth, one of the primary purposes of elders is to ready the church for its mission. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 4, that God has directed certain offices in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And he has done that to equip the saints, to arm the people for their purpose. And so the way that I have described it in this life truth is the way that we describe our purposes at Agape. Not over overly complicated, but what we see in, Bi- in the Bible, which is that we are to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to be worshipers. We are to love others as Christ has loved us. We are to learn what it means to be together as fellow saints. And we are to bring people to Jesus to teach them how to follow him. We are to be disciple makers. Elders are not called to do all the ministry. They're not the ones who do the work or all the work. They are the ones who are equipping and arming the saints to be able to fulfill the purposes of the church. And so what we see here then is this commissioning of elders that Jesus does through Peter. That in your outline, elders are commissioned. And when I say they are commissioned, they are held accountable to this commission. They are given a commission and they are held accountable to it. And that commission is to feed and watch over his people. Elders and pastors are commissioned to feed and watch over the people of Jesus. So let me explain those two. When I hear the word shepherding, I believe it equates to feeding. And I go back to that restoration of Peter by Jesus. If you remember that picture, John 21, Jesus asked Peter a series of questions. It's the same question. Do you love me? And each time Peter says yes, and then Jesus gives him a command. And the command he gives him is feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep. Feed my lambs, shepherd my lambs, which tells me that Jesus equates shepherding to feeding. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, and Hebrews 5, we see that the Bible calls the Word of God spiritual milk or spiritual food. 
that causes us to grow up. So this feeding that is supposed to happen is elders feeding, preparing meals for the sheep, for those in their church. So elders, one of their two primary functions is to prepare meals. To hear God's Word, read God's Word, study God's Word, meditate on God's Word, and then prepare meals in that Word that they place before the church. And they place it before the church in preaching, which is what I'm doing now, but in writing, maybe in podcasting in our day, and in one-on-one conversations or small groups where we converse, where we receive counsel. Not every elder feeds in the exact same way, but every elder is supposed to be preparing meals for the people. And those meals are made up of the Word of God. The only authority that an elder has is God's Word. That's it. And every meal should be completely shaped by this Word. Now there are times, I had this happen to me at least twice this week, where you get asked a question where the Bible simply doesn't say black or white, this is what you do or don't do. And what I think is an elder must be able to do at that point is give wise counsel by taking what the Bible does say and knowing how to apply that to the question that's being asked. I think a good elder should always make a distinction between what is wise counsel and what is a firm command of the Word. And we don't add to it. We don't make our own rules. If you've read the New Testament, Jesus was not a big fan of that. The other function of an elder in feeding the people is to watch over. Exercise oversight. Be an overseer. Watching over means protect and direct. You protect the flock from harm. Outside the church coming in or even inside the church working its way in the church. You make sure the flock is heading in the right direction. Elders watch out for wolves. They watch out for bad doctrine. They watch out for disunity. They go after wandering sheep. They care for the sick and the wounded and the discouraged, and they watch over the flock in prayer. And Peter doesn't just give these admonitions, feed and watch over, but he explains how this should be done. And he gives three distinct warnings and three distinct antidotes for those warnings to the elders. In your outline, we are to feed and watch over his people with right motivation from a sincere heart. This eldering, this pastoring should be done with right motivation from a sincere heart. So in verse 2, we find two of these three warnings. The first one is, Peter says to the elders, Do not become an elder because you're guilted into it. Don't become an elder because no one else will do it. Don't do this under compulsion. Rather, you are to be willing. And he specifically says, Willingly as God would have you. In other words, willingly knowing that God wants you to do this. That God has called you to do this. That this is His purpose for you. That this is His will for you. And the other admonition, the other warning, 
is that you should not do it for shameful gain. Now, as an aside, let me say that is not a prohibition against elders getting gain or compensation from the church for being a pastor. As a matter of fact, Paul in 1 Timothy 5 said that it is right for some elders, especially those who labor in teaching and preaching, to make their living that way, if that is possible. But he says, shameful gain. Don't do this for shameful gain means don't do this because you can get something out of it. Don't do this for selfish reasons. The elder, instead of doing it because someone wants them to, they should be willing. And rather than do it because they want to get something out of it, they should be eager. Which means they should have a desire to do this for the right reasons. They are stirred in their hearts to do this for the right reasons. And the right reasons is the pleasure of Jesus. Anyone who feels called to be a ministry leader, a pastor, an elder, if you are not prepared to make a lot of sacrifices that no one will ever see, then you're not ready to be in that role. Because the majority of it will be done for the pleasure of Jesus alone. And one day you will get an unfading crown of glory. That's what Peter lays before the elders. That's what you're working for. Not for what you can get out of it, but for the pleasure of Jesus. And then we get to the third warning. And in your outline, the way I put this is that we are to feed and watch over the church with love and gentleness that points the church to Jesus. With love and gentleness that points the church to Jesus. Here's the third warning in verse 3. Do not be domineering. For some people, they want to be an elder or they become an elder, they become a pastor, and the shameful gain is power. They enjoy authority. They enjoy having authority. They enjoy being able to exercise authority. And eventually... They will come against anything or anyone who threatens that authority. Because it's not about pleasing Jesus, it's about what they get out of it. The term domineering is used other places in the New Testament to indicate ruling over someone with force or bringing them into subjection by force. So this would be a pastor who tries to govern by threats by emotional or mental manipulation, even by guilt. And no one is reminded of Jesus by an elder who lives that way. No one sees Jesus as beautiful through an elder or a pastor who leads that way. Jesus was firm and He was unmoving, but He loved His sheep he was kind to them. He was gentle with them, even when he had to rebuke them. The way a pastor carries themselves should cause people to get a glimpse of the character of Jesus and long for the day they will meet him. Because they can see some glimpse of Jesus in that person, not in perfection, as we will not be perfect. No one will be. 
So an elder should feed and watch over the flock in your outline with influence that is built on sacrificial and holy conduct. Influence that is built on sacrificial and holy conduct. Rather than domineering, they should set an example. If I could talk to young men who desire to be a pastor, one of the things that I would say is the greatest tool you will have other than the the Word of God and the Spirit of God in you is influence. And you build influence with people by the way that you live and love them and serve them. I was told a long time ago by an older pastor that no one is going to care what you have to say unless they know you care about them. Hebrews 13.7 gives a very specific command, but one that every time I read it, my eyes open just a little bit. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Elders are told to live in such a way that other people could find their example worthy of imitating. Living as an example that is worth imitating is not optional for a pastor. It is not a call to perfection, but it is a call to live to the highest of standards. I can promise this. God will not allow you to teach for very long that which you are not willing to live. He will get your attention if you try to do that. He will discipline you if you try to do that. As a pastor, it is not about what can I do or what can I not do. It is about what will build the most influence. What will show people an example worthy of following. Now, Peter also in this text addresses those who are being led. He gives these commands to the elders. He gives these admonitions to the elders. And then he addresses in verse 5 those who are being led by the elders. So in verse 5 he says, Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Now, because he uses the word there, elders and younger... In our minds, we may think, wait a minute, he's shifted here, and now he's talking to older people and younger people. But the word likewise tells us that's not the case. Because when he says likewise, he's saying, I'm still on the same line of thinking. I'm still in the same train of thought here. And so he's not merely talking about older people and younger people. He's saying likewise, church Be subject to the elders. Now, why does he address it specifically to those who are younger? My thinking there is that younger people tend to be the ones who most likely struggle with authority. And that's not the case with everyone. But when you're young, you have a tendency to push back the most on those who might try and direct your way. And give you wisdom or counsel or admonition. And so Peter is saying, 
Church, especially you who are young, be subject to the elders. And if those who are young who would really struggle with this, if they are to be subject to the elders, then so should those who are older. Be subject means submit. As we've talked about many times in First Peter, unless they are calling you to sin, Peter is saying, do your best to be in submission to your pastors. This is much harder to preach on for me. I would much rather preach on the first part, because preaching on this part seems far more self-serving. But it is in the Bible, and if we're going to have the whole counsel of God, then we need to talk about what it means. But just know, it's not the most comfortable thing in the world for me to do. His expectations are that pastors will use authority rightly, that they will be loving and caring for the church, and that the members of the church will respect their position and the authority given to it. And so within that, you have this exchange of humility, what I called an exercise in humility. Because elders are conducting themselves with humility as leaders, and those who are subject to the elders are conducting themselves in humility, being subject to the elders. I said earlier how horrifying a thought it is to me of the elders who have trampled on the trust placed in them. But we also have to say that many churches have suffered from members who didn't trust or want to follow godly leadership. There is an exchange of humility that must take place for there to be health in the church. So what are church members charged with? One statement in your outline. And this is how I put it. Church members are charged to honor your leaders by increasing their joy through obedience to the Word and your growth in the faith. Honor your leaders by increasing their joy. And how do you increase the joy of a pastor? I think it is be obedient to the Word and let them see your growth in the faith. I will give you two passages of where I'm getting this from. That outline statement is a summary of two passages. One, 1 Thessalonians 5.12, that says this, Church, respect those who labor among you and over you. Esteem them highly in love because of their work. Honor or respect them because of their work. And then secondly, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, which is really an eye raiser. Obey your leaders and submit to them. And I will just pause there and say, we are called to obey our leaders because our leaders should be teaching the words of Jesus and the words of Jesus should be obeyed. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be no advantage to you. It is not advantageous to the church to have a sullen frustrated, 
struggling pastor who is always trying to get his church to listen to the teaching of God's Word, and they won't. And by the way, that is not my experience here at all. That is foreign to me. But, if I'm right about summarizing these two texts, I think one of the best ways to honor your leaders is to seek to increase their joy. And if you were to ask me, where do you find the most joy, my answer to you is that the most joy I have is seeing people in our church, in our care, maturing and obeying in God's Word and character. Nothing brings me more joy than that. To seeing people growing and maturing in the Word. To having conversations with people and they say, you know what, six months ago, two years ago, this is not what I would have done, but here's how God is having me respond to this situation. Nothing brings me greater joy than that. And I think that is the heart of an elder. I love seeing the church grow. I do. But I am most excited when I see it growing because people in the church are influencing others and inviting them to come and be a part of it. I also think one of the ways that you increase the joy of your pastors is that they can see how the meal they have prepared for you in some form was used by God in your life. That they labor over a meal and they present it and then they can see how that meal nourishes you or helps you. I want to ask you to bear with me for just a moment as I say this this next section. Because if anything is going to sound self-serving, it will probably be this. If shepherds are called to prepare meals, I think members are called to partake in those meals. Elders should be putting meals together, not so they can be known, not so they can get a lot of likes on social media, but so that their church is nourished. Now, we put things on social media in a way of hoping to connect with the community. But if you ever think that I am writing and podcasting and teaching in order to make myself known, you should come and tell me that you think that, and let's have a discussion about it. Because that is not how I am supposed to conduct myself. That is not how Nick is supposed to conduct himself. That is not what elders are supposed to be about. But if an elder prepares a meal, I think the members should partake in those meals. They should listen. They should ponder. They should consider what is put before them in various forms. So here's what I want to say to us that I want to be careful about, but I do believe. And I would ask you to take this with you even if you weren't a member of Agape or if one day you're not and you belong to another church. There are always going to be gifted, well-known writers, leaders, teachers, podcasters that God elevates and places in a position where many people are looking to them and listening to them and going and reading and partaking in their things, and that is a very good thing for the church. And you should use those, and you should do that. So if you have a favorite writer or a favorite podcaster or a favorite blogger or a favorite pastor, that's great. Take in their things if it is nourishing to you. 
But wherever you are, don't overlook those who lead your church in favor of those who don't know you at all. Because the only leaders who have been charged with overseeing your souls are the ones over the church you belong to. Those people who write and preach and teach and podcast really good things, take it in. I do. But if God wants to say something to you about your soul through a leader, it won't be them. It will be your elders. God can use that and speak to you. He does. But the people that he will talk to about your soul and what is needed will be those he has placed over you in a church. Elders have to be really careful of pride to not chase after notoriety. And I think church members have to be really careful to not chase after celebrity. This illustration isn't mine. So if you've heard it before, I I stole it from someone else. You have had in your life some really significant meals. You remember them. You can remember where you ate. You remember what it tasted like. You've probably tried to get back there again. Alice and I took a trip 21 years ago to Orlando and spent about a week there. And we've joked before that we must be getting old because we don't really remember anything about that trip. Except I remember we ate at a restaurant ran by a guy named Emeril Lagasse. And I had, we had, actually it was Allison's, but she had some fish. I think it was called Escalar. And it was, to this day, 21 years later, the best fish I've ever had. Still remember that. Never forgot it. You've all had meals like that. You have also had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of meals that you don't remember at all. Nothing stands out to you about them. They were just ordinary, everyday meals. But those meals have kept you alive. There are times where God lets you come across significant meals in His Word. Sometimes that will be by a particular person that you find in a position of notoriety. Eat it up. But be careful to not chase after the significant. Ignoring what may be the every week ordinary meals that those shepherds put before you because it is those meals that keep you spiritually alive. I have made it a practice for years to place myself under Josh Dean's teaching in a small group. Josh is not an elder here, but Josh is a very gifted teacher. And for seven or eight years, however long he's been doing a small group, I've placed myself in a position to hear him teach. And there are things that Josh have said has said in his teaching that have been very significant to me. I still remember. I can recall them in a moment but there's been a ton of things that josh has taught that i i don't really remember but those things have kept me on track they have helped me in my walk with the lord as i am trying to lead and pastor here that's how god works
Chase, enjoy the significant, but don't always chase the significant things. Hopefully you'll have significant meals here. But the ordinary, the things put before you by your pastors, they keep you alive spiritually. God uses those. We give us a gospel plea. The end of verse 5. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. With humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you're someone who writes in their Bible, underline, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. This relationship between shepherds and sheep, I said earlier, is an exercise in humility. Peter uses this quotation from Proverbs 3, and then we also find it in James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, He gives grace to the humble. Elders must be humble as they lead. Members must be humble as they are subject to those who lead them. And humility is something the world is really struggling with right now. I hesitated bringing this up because I don't want anyone to think I am making fun of a person because I'm not. But I do think this reveals something. There's a video that's going around on social media. You may have seen it. But there's this particular person who's being interviewed and they're talking about how they they want all they care about is what God says and that they think God is doing a work right now in our world and that the work that God is doing is separating sheep from goats which is a biblical reference and then the person interviewing them kind of stops and he says well which are you And the person kind of pauses for a moment and then they say, well, I'm a goat because I'm no sheep. No one's going to tell me what to do. I don't say that, if you've seen the video, to point out a particular person or make fun of them. But I have heard so many times over the past year and I've seen this in my own life where someone has said to me you know what it really boils down to if I'm honest with myself I just don't like being told what to do but here's the reality we are sheep of God or we are not saved that's it Be comfortable being a sheep. Because if you don't belong to the flock of Jesus, then you're not saved. Right now, the world is filled with confident assertions. We know exactly what's happening. We know exactly why it's happening. 
we know exactly what needs to be done about it. We know exactly who is to blame. We have all the answers. And church, if we join that way of thinking, we may think we are fighting an enemy when the opposition we really are fighting against is God Himself. Because He opposes the proud. If I could say something to us that God has generally, genuinely laid on my heart this week, it is that it is spiritual protection to fight for humility in your life. To even just start saying, you know what? Here's what I think's happening, but I don't actually know for sure. Here's what I think we should do, but you know what? That may be wrong. Here's what I think will work, but I'm not God. In your outline, this gospel plea I want to make to us this morning. In a world filled with brash, even irreverent confidence, strive to be a person of great humility. God's opposition is toward the proud who rely on themselves and leave no room for correction or understanding. But by His grace, excuse me, but His grace is poured out in abundance on those who trust only in Him and continually confess their need for wisdom. Agape, I do not want to, I do not want us to be in a position in which we are opposed by the discipline of God. If we're proud, if we trust in ourselves, if we think we have all the answers, if we make all the confident assertions, God God opposes that. He opposes that thought. He opposes that heart. But if we are willing to lay ourselves before the Lord and say, I trust only in you. And I need your wisdom and I need it badly. Then God promises us His grace. That He will pour His grace out on those who rely only on Him. Who look to Him for everything. He will pour His grace out on those who worship Him alone. And who approach all of life with humility. Knowing that only God has all the answers. That's who I want us to be. This morning I I asked for us to move the prayer focus to the end. You guys up in the booth, if you would, would you bring the lights down? We're going to take a moment and we're going to pray together. And we're going to do this before the worship team comes up. So there's going to be some degree of silence. And that's okay. And if if, if it's not completely silent, that's okay too. But I want to ask you, look at this outline. Look on the front page. 
And this prayer focus for this week, and I use James 4, 6. But God gives more grace, therefore it says God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. The exact quotation from Peter. What I want us to do is take a moment and pray together. And we're going to pray that the Lord would help us by His Spirit to be a people of great humility. We're going to continue this next week because Peter is going to go into a little more teaching about humility. But I want to ask the Lord to help us as a church to be a people of great humility. As one pastor used to say, I pray often that God would help me humble myself so he doesn't have to be the one to do it. Ask that by his spirit, God would help us be humble. And pray that His abundant grace would be over us. And that we would worship Him well and disciple people out of that grace. If you're a dad in the room, a husband, take this time to lead your families in prayer. Let's cry out to the Lord and ask Him to help us be people of humility. And after a couple of minutes, I'll come back up and we will end in worship through singing.